Hi everyone, this is Gloria, the host of the Love and the Work You Do podcast, and tonight we'll be talking about racial inequality, which Wikipedia defines as the social advantages and disparities that affect different races within this United States. And these type of social advantages and disparities can be seen most especially against minority groups. Again, my name is Gloria. Thank you for joining me on tonight's podcast, which is a reflection of the times we're in. This is June 2020, and we are living in a time where we are in lockdown due to COVID-19. And for the past two weeks, We have also been in the middle of protests going on due to racism and injustice in the United States. So, come pull up a chair. Let's learn together. Today, I'll be sharing my personal perspective um, on injustice and racism. I'll also add in information from um, people that I have listened to at some point during this whole um, protest period and even information that I have had the opportunity to be privy to before this all started. And hopefully something from this conversation resonates with you on a deeper level. So this podcast hopes to talk about the intersection of race, class, and culture as it relates to racism and injustice. And for me, a single parent in a county in Maryland, United States, my experience is definitely different. I've been privy to having conversation and learning from others for years about how to be inclusive, how to be more diverse, diverse in our communities so that no one feels left out. I was part of a workshop whose goal was to make participants nurture trust explore differences and commit to the inclusion of people in that particular community. People were coming together on a common ground to learn from fellow members in that community who were different from them. That was in 2017 that I was part of that workshop. We're now in 2019. I don't, 2020, excuse me. I don't see much has changed. In the past, before COVID, it appeared that we were all learning. Everything was being um, in the media. We were hearing inclusion and diversity. And one thing I noticed, even with all of that talk, was that people were being, were becoming more diverse. But that didn't mean that they were inclusive in the way that they treated, um, treated people. 
and the goal of this workshop that I was part of was to make the community more inclusive at the end of the day. In paper and from a visionary perspective, the idea worked. In theory, after so many years, 50 years actually, it became apparent that there were some gaps that needed to be filled. I feel like that was the work we were called in to do, to find out what those gaps were and then go out into the community and one by one be an advocate and help solve that problem. Not too sure we did, but we all left with our commission at that workshop. So as it happens to all great visionaries, as I've noticed, things don't actually go as planned. See, the ideals of a visionary is that they want a particular vision. But the reality is you're never there to sustain it till the end. And when that happens, you now need to lean on the shoulders. Well, literally, you're not there anymore, but. The belief is that along the line, there will be other visionaries as crazy as you who will take up the cause and continue the vision that you had. At the workshop, there were a couple questions we were meant to answer. And so I was really excited to be part of the conversation. A few things I noticed, and I believe other people noticed immediately we, we started our first workshop, was that everyone was not represented at the table. As a single mom, I was there, but my background was different. Even though I had fallen, fallen on bad times and had had to, ended up experiencing the things that people that are underrepresented go through every day, I felt more empathy towards that group of people. And so in a way, I became an advocate. But I, I, I had my degree and I was able to get back on my feet and get a job. But the thing is, for the underrepresented, they can't even do that. Getting back on their feet is difficult. So back to my question, why did we feel something was off? Because the underrepresented were not at the table. Most times, the underrepresented can't afford a car. Most times, the underrepresented can't afford to dress up the way everybody else does and that by itself will exclude them from coming out into the open the underrepresented may have language barriers that stops them from coming out into the conversations that just shows you how the social disparity is between all of us in the United States. 
So, the conversation about racial inequality is important to me because I have a passion for education. Not because that's my nine to five job, (laughs) more because it's my calling. You see, it's like that still small voice tells me to pursue this further. Anything that deals with visionary, education, I pursue, I dig deep and I follow. And I follow this, I've been following this course for the past two years. After our workshop, I dug in more into the life of Jim Rouse, the founder of the of Columbia, where I live. Because Columbia was a great vision on paper, but along the line, the segregation started. Newer villages didn't have the same ideals as the villages that were created by the founder. Don't get me wrong, Colombia is still a great place. It's a model for others to follow. Create a diverse community, different faith, different culture, different races. Bring them all together and let them all live together including each other in all that they do. But just like every great organization, every great marriage, every great relation every great relationship, excuse me. When you bring two people together, sects start to form. Groups start to emerge. Hierarchy starts forming and that's when people start resenting each other. And then that's where racism starts. From my perspective, the bigger issues are inequality when it comes to education, that's my passion. And how to change that. I believe that if we can get to the root of engaging parents, engaging teachers to lift up minority groups in our schools, then we can affect change on that skill as we affect changes on the top skill too. And that's my hope, that at the end of the day, with all the protests that's going on, with the reform that we're working on to change the policing of black Americans and minority groups in the United States, that the second work that we're doing is in the educational field. There are other models that can be used to help other organizations and structures do it better. From my perspective, it's the role of a parent and the child in a school. If you're being 
treated unfairly to speak up. Part of the workshop, we watched a video called Bridging the Divide. This video was about the school system in the Baltimore area. You saw the wide disparity between the students of the underrepresented and the minority groups compared to the white children in the county. See, the white kids knew to go for AP classes and GT classes and take seminars and be part of extracurricular activities. The minority kids, minority kids, minority groups, black Americans, um, they couldn't do that. Their parents are working two jobs. They've never seen anyone do it before. How do they even approach it? They tell the teachers, the teachers tell them they can't do it, that they're not good enough or they don't think they're qualified to do it. The video was commissioned by the Baltimore Sun and the Maryland Equity Project in association with the Educational Writers Association, which means along the line, someone knew something had to be done about the racial inequality in our schools. I will ask you to Google Bridging the Divide. Baltimore Sun. And watch this video. And it will give you a perspective of the injustice that have been done to minority groups and black Americans in the United States. So how do we fix this? We all know there's a problem in our schools. We all know there's a problem in our nation. We all know that racism exists. But how do we fix it? I believe we should bring together diverse groups of people, including the underrepresented who can't get into those workshops. But also that everybody come in there with an air to listen. The white people who feel like they're becoming a minority in the United States, the black people who know that injustice has been done to them for years and years, let's all come to the table and talk about ways we can help. Let's all, let's all heal together. In the workshop I was part of, the things that we talked about that we knew could help. We had conversations. We listened to each person's conversation and let a facilitator go deeper with each question asked, which with each answer given. We role-played. We watched the videos like the one I talked about on Bridging the Divide by the Baltimore Sun. We also watched a video by Prince, I forget his name right now. Um, I think it's the opposite of Jay Shetty, but his Prince, um, I'll find his name and I will let you all know who 
um, he is. Oh, I'll just add it into the blog post. I remember watching the video by this um, Prince O'Donnell, I think his name is. I'm not too sure right now. And your heart just bled because people were given labels. And that's not who we really are. At the end of it all, we were commissioned as ambassadors to go out and be the example of what we saw take place in that workshop. And since that day, I've been out here listening and learning and learning. But with all of this happening, I guess this is the time to act. We need to be more engaged in our schools with our teachers so that racial inequality will no longer affect our students and our underrepresented parents and minority groups. As a result of all of that, I called around during that school year, asked a lot of teachers questions, called the Department of Education, asked more questions. My question had to do with the one thing they would advise for parents to do to be more engaged in the school so that we can find a way to wipe out racial inequality my thing is, I want each child to be able to live up to their potential, take AP classes, and either succeed or fail. But the key word is that they took it and they tried. Join extracurricular classes, try it, succeed or fail. But one thing is, you tried it and you knew what your potential was, if you liked it or not. And then you moved on to the next thing. AP classes, seminars... GT classes, summer programs for gifted and talented students. I want everyone to be able to take advantage of all of these things. I'll, sh I'll put a link in the blog post for all the tools I've talked about. But as I said, from my perspective, from the educational perspective, we can fight for equity, equality. We can fight for inclusion so that we can make a world a better place for our children. And they can have a better head start than we have. And as I conclude this, can I share with you, can I confess that I, as a Nigerian American, I felt privilege. You hear that there's a distinction between anti-racism and racism, and then there's the in-between where you think you're not where implicit bias may come in, I feel like at the beginning of my return to the United States, I was afforded some privileges that black Americans and minority groups that were already here were not. 
I feel like for the longest time I felt really, really like a, you know, like a bad person, person taken from others. Um, but then slowly my kids started growing up in this country. And then I noticed something. Whatever that privilege I thought I had, they didn't have. They were treated like Americans. So maybe this daily struggle that we have, maybe people are right, I thought one day. This injustice of racism is really about how people look at others. Now they look at my son. And then they get scared. And I think that's the plight of every mother in America. If you're in a minority group, if you're especially black American, you're giving instructions to your kids every time they go out. Don't look people in the eye. Put your arms, your hands where they can see them. Don't talk back. Greet the cops. Um, don't run. Smile. That's a lot for a child to do. It's a lot. Daily I struggle with which group I belong to. Really. Am I American or am I Nigerian? Took me about five years to figure out who I really was. Still not sure. But I know for a fact that I am that. I'm Nigerian American. There are times I felt like being a Nigerian was hard, like not feeling like you were accepted. And then there were times that the American part of me didn't feel like was accepted too. But in my journey, I accepted myself as Nigerian-American. And then it clicked. I, too, have a voice. I, too, have a bigger part in this story. I can make my voice known. I can make my issues heard. And that's why this podcast is called Loving the Work You Do. But it was really supposed to be about work in terms of finding your vocation. But this is the bigger vocation that God calls us to. Racial reconciliation, the bridging of the gap, communicating with each other, understanding each other as God sees us, as souls and not just as colors. I feel like that's an important thing we're supposed to learn from this story. So, this injustice, racism, is really then about people and how they look at others. I heard Pastor Darius Daniel saying on Instagram, he gave a really great definition of what racism was. And he defined injustice too. He defined racism as feeling of ill will towards another person. Injustice is when they act that out. Pretty simple. 
He also shared a quote by Martin Luther King, which at the end of the day, he summarized, I summarized rather, as saying that racism is a feeling, injustice is the action that comes from racism. I love the quote he gave from Martin Luther King that um, Martin Luther King had said, laws won't make people like me, but will keep them from lynching me. So that's why we need reforms in the way policing is done in America. We need it to change and we need it to change now. Let 2020 be the year that the reform starts. So after he said all this, I was like, yeah, he really is right. Racism is really about feelings. Injustice is really about the actions that white people take on others. But as a black person, as a Nigerian American, what can I do? I feel like we can start in our schools by being more engaged parents. Calling out injustice and inequality and lack of inclusion in our schools. We can speak up to have parental awareness workshops and teachers awareness and engagement workshops. As Pastor Gray who's also very popular on Instagram, said that we need to continue to be more intentional about diversity without pandering. Like we're not looking for handouts. We're not looking for tokens. So to you, our allies, to those that are willing to change with us, to help with the change, Be intentional about diversity without pandering to us. There's so many similarities in organizational structures and systems breaking down in 2020. Inequality is definitely everywhere. We saw it manifest itself in the early 2000s in the case of Enron and the fraud that happened when people just decided that something was their right. We've seen it in mortgages that were given to minority groups in 2008. Part of the great reset the recession of 2008 where a lot of injustice done to people of color and minority groups 
Don't get me wrong. There's inequality and a lack of diversity and inclusion everywhere. It's in our organizations, our jobs, it's in our churches, it's in our schools, it's in wealth distribution, it's in how incarceration is being handled, and in the wealth, the gap between the rich and the poor. It's in the implicit bias and unconscious bias of people. It's the stereotyping. It's racist, systemic racism. The one that's based on race and ethnicity. It's implicit stereotyping, implicit bias. that's shaped by experiences or learned by association when you attribute something unconsciously, unconsciously to someone else. It's the fact that racism makes you see people as other than you. So you see the negative in them. It's like in a marriage relationship when a husband is tired of a relationship and then all of a sudden the word I like using is the wife starts to nauseate them. See when it gets to that part where you're nauseating your partner then there's no hope for the relationship. I feel like that's what racism is. And I'll repeat that again. It's this racism that makes you see people as other than you. As such, you see the negative in them. And they probably also nauseate you. In 2018, the open, wide, uh, heart newsletter by the Catholic um, pastoral newsletter spoke out against racism. They outline some of the disparities that still exist, like unemployment, median income of white being 10 times higher than that of minority groups and black Americans. That even in, with all the progress that we've had with um, the Fair Housing Act and all of these great programs, minority home ownership rates still lag behind and that makes it difficult to build wealth. That the criminal justice system is stacked against us. We're affected by it. That in rich communities that could help children of color, minority groups, black Americans get a head start in life, in education, 
by allowing vouchers or mixed use residences, they don't do it. And so they reap the benefit of a great school uh, that their kids go to and the children of the black Americans, minority group, end up being on the other side. If you've listened so far, I'm just grateful that you did and hope that there's something in everything that I've shared that makes some sort of sense to you. And that your work too is to start speaking out wherever you go against racial inequality to fight for a diversity and inclusion in our schools and wherever that you see that there's a gap. There are ways we can also help with systemic inequality in our schools. We should consider this question, who makes decisions and who's left out? Who benefits when we make decisions and who suffers? Why is a given practice fair or unfair? What is required to create change? What alternatives can we imagine? And I got all of these questions um, from someone I follow on Twitter. Um, And there's this one I also want to share. If we do not equip our young people to confront inequity, they will grow up to be adults who are unable to identify racism, bias, and their complicity in oppressive structures. So it's our job as parents to equip our kids via education to confront inequity, no matter your class, no matter your social status, be it low income, be it middle income, be it, you know, whatever you make. It's our job to equip our young people to confront inequity so that they'll grow up to be adults who are capable of identifying racism and bias. We need our voices to be heard. We need people to speak up. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave a comment and look forward to hanging out with you the next time.